I'm Brian Santo, EE Times Editor-in-Chief. You're listening to EE Times On Air. And this is the weekly briefing for the week ending February 4th. Everybody in the U.S. wants to fix domestic supply chain problems. But the semiconductor industry has been waiting for the government to do something, while the government appeared to have been waiting for the industry to do something. Everybody seemed to have been waiting for someone else to do something, and then, boom, surprise! Last week, Intel announced it would build a new fab in Ohio. The Biden administration warned that the U.S. was running low with its chip inventory, and the House of Representatives passed a bill to fund semiconductor operations and research. Okay, so the industry, the administration, and the House finally coordinated with each other and got something done. But now what? Well, there's plenty more that has to be done, and doing it doesn't look like it's going to be easy. This week, we review what's going on with the political effort to revive U.S. domestic semiconductor capabilities. A discussion with editor George Leopold, who's been covering the subject for EE Times. But first, here's a quick overview of some of the other stories we covered in EE Times this week. Quantum computing probably will be as big of a breakthrough as we've all heard it could be. But right now, a good portion of what we're hearing about quantum computing is hype about what various companies and research organizations are on the cusp of being able to do soon. What can quantum computing do right now? We've got a pretty thorough rundown of who's capable of what and what challenges everyone is still facing. The story is called a quantum computer technology assessment. Another item this week looks into the timing of some of the newest IC production capabilities that were promised. Samsung is going to be among the first companies to try to shift from the workhorse FinFET transistor architecture to the next generation of transistor technology, most frequently referred to as gate all around. We've got details on when Samsung expects to make that transition and where it is in its race against TSMC. Finally, we've got an interesting read on memory chips. A remarkable amount of innovation is percolating in the memory market. We've got a story on some new twists on resistive RAM. We invite you to visit the website at eetimes.com to read these stories and many others. If you're on this episode's webpage already, there are links directly to the articles I just mentioned. Also, remember you can sign up for EE Times newsletters. Our daily newsletter includes breaking news, and we have several others dedicated to specific coverage areas. Just find the button on the top of our homepage that says subscribe. The U.S. is poised to spend billions on the domestic semiconductor industry. Why? There's a trade war still going on. Much of the world is heavily reliant on China for manufacturing, while China is still reliant on much of the rest of the world for access to some of the most advanced chip technology. When the Trump administration initiated a trade war, the already fitful relationships between China and Western nations understandably deteriorated. Then, the COVID pandemic arrived. Between the trade war and the pandemic, international trade was disrupted, creating supply issues all around the world. China had already adopted a plan to become more self-sufficient in semiconductors, which was going to be hard enough to do under the best of circumstances, but the task got harder in the face of overt Western opposition. Western companies, meanwhile, were inspired to revive domestic manufacturing, which is going to be hard to do too. China and Western companies 
now seem fully committed to moving forward on mostly separate paths, but it's going to take years before anybody involved will be able to reach their goals. It looks harder in the U.S. Political turmoil concerning, well, pick a subject, has made it harder than it should be to get even the simplest things accomplished, and reviving domestic high-tech manufacturing is far from simple. There are disagreements about how to accomplish it. There are disagreements about why to accomplish it. Last week, the Biden administration rekindled interest in the matter by playing up the news that the U.S., which used to have an inventory of computer chips that would last 40 days, is now down to a five-day supply. My colleague George Leopold wrote about that in a story you can find on the website called How to Interpret Chip Supply Chain Data. That announcement was timed with Intel's announcement it would build a new fab in Ohio. A few days later, the House of Representatives passed a bill funding a set of science and engineering programs. But that's only an intermediary step. Here's my discussion with George Leopold on where this effort is heading. I started by asking for a status report on the legislation to fund the revival of domestic IC manufacturing. The Senate passed their version last June. Um, uh, Both sides of the aisle were in on it. Bipartisan support, blah, 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 all the Washington buzz phrases. So the House took their time, and um, they finally last week moved the House bill to the floor. And you'll recall from your civics classes, old money bills start in the House. So they have, so the House actually has some leverage here in terms of uh, uh, how much money and where it goes. And I, I, it appears that a lot of this was orchestrated. You'll recall Intel announced their fab in Ohio on January 21st at the White House with Gel- Pat Gelsinger and Biden and the Commerce Secretary. And then uh, Commerce put out this report, which we've uh, dissected, uh, saying that um, we've got we've got to approve the fifty-two billion, which is which is the key thing in all of this legislation. And and then the House bill comes out on the same day. So uh, I think there's yeah that in in terms of orchestration. Just by the way, so everybody knew that Intel had their fab in Ohio. Yeah. For close to two weeks prior. Right, right. And it was leaked. Because the Columbus Dispatch broke the fact that they were, like, already building. Yep, yep. right, right. So, you know, you can sort of see how this is being stage managed. And, you know, yeah. one of the political reasons is the you know, Biden and the Democrats really need a legislative victory. So that's True. so maybe that mm-hmm. will hasten the uh, the sausage-making process. Um, but... Um, there's there's sort of this overarching debate about labs versus fabs, although I'm told maybe that's not such a big deal. It looks like the $52 billion is going to get approved. Uh, the way it's cut up, some of that's DOD money for, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, basically assured supply of, of, of stuff that they need. And uh, which tend which tends to be lagging, yeah. Which tends to be lagging technology, yeah, right. So it's up, fortifying suppliers, right. of of legacy, legacy yeah. stuff, avoiding uh, obsolescence for stuff that they need. So uh, mm-hmm. when you take that out, you're talking about about thirty nine billion dollars. So one of the arguments that the smaller companies, in other words, not Intel, TSMC, or Samsung, make is that. 
if you do the math and the cost of fabs, uh, uh, $39 billion is going to get you maybe two and a half new leading-edge fabs. And so the question mm-hmm. is, is that the best way to spend the money? I just got off the phone with some folks at micro, Microchip. Um, I mean, mm. I mean, I'm in D.C. This place is swarming with lobbyists. I mean, this $52 billion <laughs> is honey to a bear. It's a honey pot. There's a lot of frenzied activity going on. Their market, microchip's argument is that, hey, we're expanding our fabs. And that's the that's the best way to spend this money. You look at who's got uh, fab capacity that's already built and what their portfolio is. You know, are they making leading mm-hmm. edge stuff or are they making stuff at higher process nodes or, you know, the capacitors and diodes and all the other stuff that go around a, f- a five nanometer chip. What's the, you know, mm. where do you get the best bang for the buck? And, uh, you know, that's that's a fairly persuasive argument, is that that might be the best way to, to to spend the money, but we're about to find out when this thing goes to a House Senate conference how they divvy it up. Yeah, yeah so, and, and to, to be clear, uh, my understanding is... Um, there's uh, the Chips Act. That's the 52 billion we're talking about. Right. Um, that's and the, that's that seems to be uh, have been uh, the focus of of the Senate efforts. The House bill expands on that with uh, with several other STEM uh, programs and initiatives to be funded as well. Right. Yeah, that goes to this labs versus fabs argument. Um, the the. The Senate version, uh, critics would say, just uh, is is attempting to do what the Chinese have done: throw a ton of money mm. at capacity. And the, their argument is the counter argument is, yeah, but that's how we address sh- chip shortages, right? Mm. You, you don't you don't end the chip shortage unless you actually build something. On the House side, they're try- I think the sort of the aspirational goal is they're trying to. S- skate to where the puck will be in terms of what comes after Moore's law. And that's probably a worthy goal. That's something that we've done. You know, that's how we got the internet we're talking on today. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, the industry's always saying, well, we're better at commercializing this stuff than NSF or Department of Commerce. So, you know, those are sort of the, the, the two counter arguments. Uh, it's not clear how it's going to turn out. What, what did happen in this in the Senate was that a lot of money was allocated for R&D to NSF and to Commerce, and then individual members came in, and in the the time-tested, uh, uh, they asked a time-tested question, what's in it for my state? They shifted money from those research agencies to individual products in their own states. And I think yeah. that the, the, the Chairman of the Science Committee uh, Congressman Johnson uh, responded to that and said, no, we're going to invest in R&D, and this is how we're going to do it, through the through the established agencies, NSF, uh, Commerce, mm-hmm. uh, within DOD as well. So that's that's part of the argument, uh, that, that's, that's part of the debate that's going to be taking place in the, in the conference. Um, well, part of the labs versus fabs issue too is, uh, yeah. If you want, if you if you're if you've got a shortage and you want to fix it, you add capacity. Right. But 
if you want to add semiconductor capacity, you're talking about a, a two year, you know, an 18 month, two year or longer build. Right. And people are, are already saying, are we positioning ourselves for overcapacity? Yep. You know we're uh, you know we're trying to we're trying to uh, to address a moving tar- a rolling target. Mm-hmm. The 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 shortage the shortages might be over by the time we build all this extra capacity. So yeah, it actually makes a little you know with that argument if you accept that argument, it actually makes some sense to yeah. and there, spend right. money at and there's pre- the R and D level right, right? and there's pre- there's precedent for that. That happened I think in the MOSFET market where there was a huge investment in capacity, and once it came online, the MOSFET market went in the dumper. So, and you know as some analysts have pointed out, well, just because uh, Intel's going to build a shell in Ohio doesn't mean they're going to bring bring it on uh, online when it's ready. You know they're going to make a decision based on what the what market demand is like and what happens with the supply chain and whether it gets fixed between now and the time that uh, you know they start putting in a very expensive EUV equipment. So yeah, this is so this is the counter argument of the other players, the guys who don't have as many lobbyists in D.C. as, hey, we, we've we got a fab. We can just put in a new line, and we can start making stuff. And in doing so, then we address the shortage in 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 much quicker fashion than it would take, you know, to build a, a five-nanometer fab that won't open for two years. I cut you off a moment ago. We were talking about the, the House bill and where that might be going next. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think, uh, it went. It moved to the House floor, meaning it's it went out of committee. Pelosi put out a statement that included every committee chairman who has jurisdiction over any part of this uh, to make to, to make it clear that okay, we're all on the same page here. It's going to move to the House floor. There'll be a vote. I don't know when the vote has been scheduled, but my guess it's, it, is it's going to pass. They have enough votes. And I think there are enough Republicans who, uh, you know, are in favor of certain provisions in the bill. And so it'll get through the House. Then they go to the Senate con- House Senate conference, and that's where the real horse trading is. And that's where I think mm-hmm. they're going to determine, okay, we got this huge pot of money. What's the best way to spend it? Uh, you know, who's got the most lobbyists to get what they want? And, you know, th- <laughs> that's, that's how the— uh, that's how the sausage gets made in Washington. And, you know, the, the, the key thing is, you know, w- what's the best way to invest this money? And my guess is they'll get their $52 billion. There's going to be money po- put into R&D. Among the concerns are uh, you, you're going to have to uh, disclose whether there's any content from China in what you're making. There are also some current concerns about foreign workers, and I mm. think the bill has some provisions about uh, upping the H-1B visa ceiling, and that's likely to attract some attention from people who say, why can't Americans do this job, which sort of leads into something that we've reported about the culture clash out in Arizona. Right. The expectation of long hours and hard work uh, probably exceeds what even U.S. Uh, engineers and, and factory workers 
might put up with. And there's an expectation that there's going to be a, a pretty severe culture clash when TSMC comes in, establishes their fab, establishes a work routine that may or may not be something that, you know, local workers, and that's kind of part of the point um, that local workers might not put up with. What happens then? Yep. Um, and, and, it'll and, be interesting and, to see if that, that occurs. And, yeah. and how much of the workflow can be automated so you don't have to sit in a, in a meeting for three hours when you should, should be watching <laughs> your line and, yeah. and okay, here's how we're going to do this today. So, you know, maybe maybe there's some some menial things that that can be automated so you can just get out and get the line moving and get your yields up. Which Well, which, off on the tangent, it's fascinating. I mean, we've, there's um, the uh, semiconductor companies in the United States have, have long complained that they're they need the H1 um, allocation. Uh, of visas in order to get uh, the the talent they need because they can't get it in the United right. States. Right. Meanwhile, here in so I'm in Oregon. Uh, Intel has its what is still its largest campus anywhere, and they've been on the radio for six months saying, "Nah, you don't need to have a PhD." We'll train you. It's 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 not as difficult a bar as you've been led to believe. And I'm listening to these radio ads, thinking, weren't you the one who led us to believe that? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. That, I mean, yeah. That's the other part of this is the uh, workforce retraining, and and there's you know we let all of this this capability slide to Asia. We've got a huge learning curve to be able to operate. <laughs> A, a leading edge fab, much much less one that's making legacy stuff. Our our friend Dan Bresnitz uh, up at the University of Toronto made the made the point at the beginning of the pandemic uh, about how Apple needed a screw, a, a single screw for I think an iPad. Right. They couldn't find anybody in the United States who could make it, so they had to go and get right. it in China. So we can't right now, uh, you know, uh, we don't even have those kinds of manufacturing skills, and we're going to have to rebuild them from the ground up. I think that the House bill is going to attempt to address that, and that will probably hmm. uh, end up as part of, uh, you know, whatever whatever emerges from the from the conference. Um. And and again, I I think something's going to happen. I think uh, yeah, yeah before before the uh, November elections, I think everybody's going to want to point to okay, we actually did one thing during this session of Congress, and and the president will be happy to sign it and have a big signing ceremony with uh, all of the winners and some of the, those who maybe didn't get as much at the White yeah. House and say okay. We're 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 going to start building stuff, and we're going to start addressing the chip shortage. I got into this conversation just because I think it's important to remember how intricate and involved the considerations are. Right? It's not just like it, it, it's like yeah, we want to train U.S. workers or we want to you know establish a domestic supply. It isn't. As simple as saying it. Yeah, right. There, there, there yeah. was a famous a book written about Project Apollo in the 1960s called Moving Heaven and Earth. 
And this is mm-hmm. this is almost the equivalent of that, you know, starting yeah. from the ground up. We're not reinventing, but we're just sort of, you know, how, how do you restart all this stuff that we've lost? So that's that, that. Well, in a weird sort of way, it is a little bit of reinvention. I mean, you know, we're it, by the, if we were to, if the United States were to not only to do leading edge, bleeding edge chip manufacturing, which is a whole new thing when you're working with EUV. I mean, it, it really is a new thing. Mm-hmm. And when you start talking about multi-chip modules and, and uh, uh, you know, uh, chiplets and packaging, that becomes insanely complex, not unsolvable, but we're still needs to be solved. And it's different from just take, slipping a piece of silicon into a piece of plastic and popping it out. Right. You know, we really, in a way, that heaven and earth analogy is kind of accurate. Right. Where we, it, it, maybe it's not start from ground zero, but not far from that. And and the, 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 the DOD and a couple of other agencies are, po- are putting money into advanced packaging, and one reason is they see that's that's a that's the fastest way to move up the manufacturing learning curve. So yeah, there'll be there'll be money there'll be money for that, and and again that will address uh, some of the legacy stuff that's yeah. of concern. And uh, you know, I, I think there's there's definitely there's going to be money poured into legacy stuff, uh, analog, uh, as well as sort of the leading edge logic technologies. It, you know, I think they're going to have to determine what's how do we get the biggest bang for the buck, and how do we get out out of this chip shortage. I'm glad I'm not the only one solving this problem. Yep, yep. But uh, some, I, you know, I think something's going to happen this year before the num- before the November elections. So, all right, you made the call. You've been listening to EE Times editor George Leopold. Details about the bill the House of Representatives just passed were beginning to come out at press time. The House version had many more provisions compared to the Senate version. According to various reports, the House version included more funding for the National Science Foundation and increased spending on education programs nationally. There are said to be provisions aimed directly at resolving supply chain bottlenecks, though no details were available. The House bill also has measures to address climate change, that reportedly includes setting aside $8 billion for an international organization called the Green Climate Fund, which supports climate mitigation programs in low-income nations. There is also long-term funding tabbed for a new Energy Department program to pursue solar projects that would make the U.S. less reliant on solar energy equipment made in China. The House version also designates money for research and development into several new technologies, reportedly including quantum computing and energy storage technology. That brings another episode of The Weekly Briefing to its end. Thank you for listening. The Weekly Briefing is available through the major podcast platforms, but if you get to us at our website at eetimes.com, you'll find a transcript along with direct links to the other stories we've mentioned, along with other resources. You'll also find our other podcasts. They include Power Up, hosted by Maurizio De Paolo Emilio. It's about power electronics. Embedded Edge is about embedded technologies. The host is Nitin Dahad. A new episode dropped this week. We also have the Artificial Intelligence Podcast with Sally Ward-Foxton. 
The Weekly Briefing is produced by EE Times. It was engineered by Taylor Marvin and Greg McRae at Coop Studios. The segment producer was Katie Huss. I'm Brian Santo. See you next week.